developers and the users. And no two, no one can exist without the others. No two can exist without the others. All three have to be in it to win it. And if not all three are there, then this whole thing just, just falls apart. I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here, I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Victor Bunin, a protocol specialist at Bison Trails, which was acquired by Coinbase, and also an angel investor who helps people get their career started in crypto. Welcome, Victor, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's awesome uh, having you on. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot about your background. I know that you work at Bison Trails. That's been acquired by Coinbase. So congratulations to you and your team for that. But before we get into everything that you're working on as a protocol specialist, I want to know more about you and what you were doing before even hearing about Bitcoin. Where where was Victor back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I I graduated college in in 2014, and Originally, I was a finance major. I thought, I want to go into investment banking and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then I ended up meeting people that work at banks. And I was like, oh, then never mind. It's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so halfway through my junior year, I ended up switching my, my major to a double major in economics and psychology. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went into consulting where you can just do a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I was very, very fortunate to land at EY. And while I was over there, I was in a rotational program called the Business Advisory Program, where you work with different teams on different projects, and you're kind of like a like a free resource for uh, anybody within the advisory practice and financial services. So I was at EY for a little under four years. Uh, the first two I spent doing risk, uh, regulatory compliance, uh, operations, and other um, kind of like back office work. And then the next two years, I spent doing digital strategy and user experience design. So working with the largest financial services companies in the world on apps and dashboards and websites, and social strategies. And so a lot of, there's like a lot of new tech. Yeah, a, a lot of new tech for banks, not new tech <laughs> for tech. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're always like the last adopters. I don't know why, but they have so much money and they just can't, they can't figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's... It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I think working with large financial institutions both made me like less hopeful for them and more hopeful for them at the same time. It's mm -hmm. really fascinating. Uh, but while I was in, in consulting um, in 2017, I kept hearing about Bitcoin and I was doing so well and all this news coming out. And um, I kept meaning to make time to read the Bitcoin white paper. And I just... Yeah never got around to it <laughs> did you have any friends in your group just saying hey victor this is the new thing you have to get into it why aren't you paying more attention to bitcoin not really because you know the friend, the friend group that i had was um just not as technologically forward it was a lot of like finance people and mm -hmm. ops people and hr people uh folks that are around it was like so i went to all city schools in new york and so there's just not a strong tech presence in the New York City school circuit. So from that perspective, it was just what I was hearing in the news and on the online. Nice. That's good. So yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, I, mean, I was like, let's, I feel like uh, mainstream media gets it wrong a lot of times, especially in the early days, talking about Bitcoin and how dangerous it is and why it's like evaluated at so much uh, money. And I was surprising, like, all right, you kind of went with it with an open mind, like you're hearing about it. And you just 
all right, how is this really disrupting yeah. this space? Well, I, I was very fortunate because um, I, had a, I had a good friend of mine, his name is Asap, Asap Yashayu, uh, and he, he was at EY with me. We were actually in the same fraternity. We, well, we went to the same high school and then we went to the same college and we are in the same fraternity. And then we both worked at EY. And I asked him to help me get some Bitcoin because he was already, he was already invested. So uh, I, I know that I'm now employed by, by Coinbase, so I apologize, but my first account was actually a Gemini account because I had much older fees at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, helped me, he helped me open an account and I put all the money that I had into Bitcoin, which was around $3,000 at the time. Nice. Uh, yeah, at that point, would you believe it? I suddenly found the time and the motivation to read the Bitcoin white paper. Wow, yeah, when you put skin in the game and you have your own money, it's like, oh, let, me, let me actually try to look up yeah. what I'm investing into. So, Honestly, and I, and I give that advice to everybody that I talk to. You know, they keep saying, oh, I want to make the time, I, don't, I want to read, I want to learn. I say, put, put money into it. Not so much that you can't sleep, but enough that you really care. And like, you're determined to find the right answer and then mm -hmm. dig into it. And it's worked really, really well for me as a, as a forcing function. And then as I, um, as I spent more time and you know, I read the Bitcoin white paper, I didn't understand any of it. So I read the explainer for it and I understood a tiny piece of that. I read the explainer for the explainer. I just kept pulling at strings and pretty soon it became all consuming and the only thing I wanted to read about, the only thing I wanted to talk about, <laughs> uh, the only thing I wanted to think about or anything. Uh, and of course it, it certainly helped that the price was going up and yeah, I kept course. putting more money in. I felt like a genius. I was like, oh man, I'm so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Just put money in. It goes up and I make my money. It's easy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Tell yeah, your parents. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was, and it was funny because in early 2018, I left EY and I did some of my own consulting. Um, and then I joined consensus. And at that point, by the time I left UI, I was really like fully committed and the price already started going down, but I'm already bought it. I am already fully committed to this as I was like, all right, I feel less like a genius now. And I felt <laughs> much less like a genius towards, towards late 2018, but, uh, you know, I'm, I know a lot of 2019 actually, <laughs> but, it, but it feels okay now. It, it's a roller coaster ride that I think everyone has to experience, you know, like everyone's it's a very emotional ride. Like when I was in crypto, like in 2013 and 2017, just, just remembering that roller coaster ride of like feeling like a genius, making a bunch of money, then all of a sudden it all goes back down and you kind of went back to zero or even less. And it's seeing that happen again in 2017, like my friend saying, oh no, like, what do you think is going to happen next? Like Bitcoin's crashing, it's crashing, it's crashing. It's like, it's going to crash and it's going to go back up and then it's going to crash again. And you just don't have to worry unless you're like really good at timing this, just hold it and wait until real change in the world happens. Yeah, no, absolutely. And now today when I have conversations with people and they're curious about Bitcoin or crypto, I tell them, look, there's, there's two things you need to know. In 2017, when you started, or 2018, when you started having these conversations, you looked at people and you said, Hey, this whole thing might go to zero. Like that is a real possibility. This all might be just a bad yeah. idea, and we're all going to lose all that money. <laughs> uh, that's how you open, because uh, it's true. It, was it really is true, fun, right? Absolutely. Um, and and you know, one one today, like you don't do that anymore because now it's kind of like pretty obvious where things are going, and, and the traction has been had, and more and more people use it, more and more it's 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 obvious. I think at this point, what the trajectory is, uh, and it wasn't obvious in, in 2017, or, or at least it was obvious to maybe maybe it was to a lot of other people. Um, but the other thing that I thought is really interesting is 
when I talk to people today and they say, how much money should I put in? What should I buy? Blah, blah, blah. And I tell them, well, you know, just buy Bitcoin or Ethereum. Don't really look at anything else. And yep. they just kind of leave those on, on autopilot. Um, and, and I tell them, but listen, hear me out here. When I was buying in in, in 2017 and 2018, the price declined from the top to the bottom for Ethereum, mm-hmm. 95%. Okay. And you know what I did? They say, what? What'd you do with Bitcoin? I said, I, I, I kept buying more. That's all I'm doing. I just kept buying more. But you have to be comfortable with the fact that this is an extremely volatile asset. Yeah. And when, you know, probably will go down 95% again, like maybe it will. Right. And this it, is something you have to could, yeah. get a certain amount of comfort with. Exactly. That's like, um, that's like a, I think that's hard to really understand because stock markets, uh, regular like, public companies are trading. It's so rare to see that kind of volatility and there's typically a huge reason why, like, like a mortgage crisis, like a banking crisis or something really bad has to happen in order for that to happen with crypto. Absolutely nothing can happen. Just speculation (laughs) pumps it up (laughs) and then it goes down. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, that's why it's like kind of, uh, well, that goes back to why, like back in 2017, 2013, it kind of was backed by nothing other than yeah. people working on something. Now there's a lot more applications on Ethereum, a lot more reserves held in Bitcoin. So there is real use case behind it today. But again, that was, like you said before, it was speculation. It could have gone down to zero. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, I was never worried about the speculation going down to zero. Actually, I, I was never concerned about that or bubbles. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care. What I did care about was whether or not the central idea of crypto, because when we think about what is the true innovation in crypto, in Bitcoin or Ethereum, all these things, like, what's the thing? What's the thing that was actually invented? And it was actually, like, it wasn't blockchain, it wasn't proof of work, it wasn't hatching, it wasn't transactions, it wasn't any Encryption, of this stuff. yeah. Right, yeah. Well, what was invented is the incentive mechanism by which you know, you pay these, these different entities to continue to produce work that is useful to the network that allows it to continue to exist. Right? And so you have these three entities, which are the miners, the developers, and the users. And no two, no one can exist without the others. No two can exist without the others. All three have to be in it to edit. And if not all three are there, then this whole thing just, just falls apart. Mm-hmm. And that was my concern. I said, look, maybe there's... You know, if there's any way for this to go to zero, it, it would just be the discovery that the incentive mechanisms that we came up with don't make sense. Not that we obviously believe Satoshi and, and, and folks since Satoshi. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really the only, um, the only way that it goes go to zero. And if it's not that, if it doesn't go to zero for that reason, then it's going to go to hundreds of trillions, trillions of dollars. Right. Just, just because like, if, if that incentive model makes sense Mm -hmm. then all of this is validated and then what you have to think of it as is currently this dial up absolutely garbage (laughs) technology that's super slow and super expensive but if you just play it out as logical logical exercises it's like okay you make that assumption that it's going to get much cheaper and much much faster and a much better user experience over time does a core primitive make sense then and will it get adopted and is it a lot better than existing systems? And the answer there is a resounding yes. Yeah. And so I kind of said, okay, well, it's been, you know, in 2017, I was like, okay, it's been, you know, eight years that this thing has been around. And if it was a really dumb idea, probably somebody smarter than me would have figured it out by now. <laughs> I 
so and so I think that the the risk of a dumb idea is probably very close to zero. Mm-hmm. And if it's that, then this thing is going to be, you know, at infinity, you know, quote unquote. And so I should just put all my money in and put all my time, and this this should be the only thing that I that I spend, you know, my, myself and my resources and my and my interest on. And yeah, it's exactly right because I mean, we do have a lot of like, well-educated people working on this in the space, especially in Ethereum that we know of. Um, but you know, the way you're thinking now is like, how has that developed? I know you said you went to school for economics and had uh, psychology. Do you think that like for me at crypto is all economics and psychology? It's a lot of both. Do you think your past education has helped you grasp an understanding much faster than maybe some other person like across the street or like, Oh yeah. Oh, oh my God. Absolutely. And that's something that I found really interesting because when I when I came into crypto in twenty seventeen, and and I left you know mid mid twenty seventeen, and then I left UI in early twenty eighteen. I really didn't have that much time to learn crypto. Then I right away started consulting a bunch of smaller projects, mm-hmm. uh, you know, specifically doing crypto economics and, and token design and setups. And I felt a little bit like not like a fraud, but I felt like. You know, I don't belong here. Like I don't. I don't know what I'm talking about. I shouldn't be. You know, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. And then I realized. I realized that it just came so naturally to me, and it was so easy, and just made such obvious sense of how things things should work. And I realized that for the last, you know, ten years, I've been training for a job that didn't exist until all of a sudden it started existing, right? Because the economics and psychology is 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 really like what was driving me as a person. It's it's behavioral economics, especially. And so it's like, how do you, how do you change yourself? How do you change other people? How do you incentivize or disincentivize or how do you, you know, set up habits or all kinds of stuff. And then within consulting, I was doing a lot of regulatory stuff and process stuff and like user experience stuff. And it just ended up blending together. And then now all of a sudden you have to design and understand these systems that are meant to uh, facilitate interactions between multiple parties that are at times, you know, uh, against one another or on opposite sides, mm-hmm. but also like everybody has to be at the table in order to collaborate. And there's certain behaviors that you want to incentivize and certain behaviors you want to disincentivize. I just found that it came so naturally to me that I was a little bit taken aback. Um, but then I, I leaned into it. And I realized, okay, wow, like I really am becoming very quickly an expert on this as much as an expert can be in a field that didn't exist up until you know a couple of years ago. And so when I uh, was looking for my for my full time role. Uh, the place where I actually landed was uh, a team within Consensus that specifically focused on token design and economics. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, I, I I was I was consulting for three different companies at the time, and all of them gave me especially full time offers saying like, "Hey, please come in you know, in various ways, come be one of the leaders of this project and help okay. us make it successful." And I had this offer for a, a job, like a regular job, from consensus. And the reason I joined consensus was that you had this team there that was, I think, I think total, we went up to like five or six, five or six guys that all we did was crypto economics and token design. Yeah. And we were just like, you know, help clients with it, but also evaluate what's in the market and, and think about like what's, what's happening, what's going on. And that created a really strong foundation for me to uh, think about these things and then basically see the see the crypto world through this lens in, in the years, in the years since. And, it, and it's, sorry, I'll, I'll stop talking in one second, but. <laughs> no, keep going. <laughs> it, it's curious how many, 
in how many different ways this has played out is it, it's played out, you know, in, in some of the decisions that uh, we make around which protocols we support at Bison Trails and we look at the inside of them, we look at how they're designed and, and how they work. But it's also played out in some of the some of the work that I knew in mm-hmm. that, you know, one of the things that I that I led uh, last year was the first decentralized protocol merger between Keep Network and NewCypher. And it wasn't like an acquisition where it's like token for token. It was two networks coming together to create one one token, one network, one identity. Uh, so it was a merger of equals. And what I found was that it's such a interesting crypto economic design problem because you're not just dealing with the incentives and setup and nodes and community within one protocol, one CM and one use case. You're doing that into, across two different protocols and teams and communities and use cases, yeah. and economic models and, and token models and staking models and slashing models, like all that stuff. So, you know, it was super fascinating because the skill set kind of keeps keeps showing itself and, and coloring the way that uh, I see things, but also really enabling me to, to contribute in a way that's very unique. So now that you're like, seeing all these different types of models, is it like, um, has it become tough for you to like, again, there's like there's thousands of different cryptocurrencies out there, thousands of different styles of token economics. Has anything that you thought would not work surprised you? Anything that I thought would not work surprised me. And that did work like in a positive sense for them. But because for me, sometimes when I work in an industry and I kind of get into a, a thought process as it becomes like, oh, there's only one way of doing something or like the best way of doing something. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think something that's challenging my assumptions right now is actually Solana. Um, you know, and I, and I know this Solana founders really well and, you know, we're friends with them. Um, but I am not a believer in, um, monolithic chains. I'm not a believer in uh, kind of like unbounded throughput and mm-hmm. the lack of a fee market. I just, I see blockchains like in a very different way in that, you know, there's unlimited demand for block space. Mm-hmm. And the cheaper the price, the more use cases that are enabled. And so like all that block space is going to be filled up up until the point where it's no longer profitable to perform that action. And I wouldn't say that Solana has uh you know, 100% completely erased my, 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 my questions or like changed my understanding of, of blockchain protocols. I think Solana is like the only major effort to kind of prove out the thesis that, that they have with. And I think they're still very early, but I'm definitely very curious to keep watching them because, you know, frankly, they've done an extremely good job, right? And they've, they've done a tremendous job. I'm worried people have done a tremendous job, uh, you know, trying to prove out their, their use case in the way that they see uh, the blockchain world work and they've changed a lot of assumptions around how blockchains work generally. So th- they're probably the most contrarian thinkers on blockchains from the entire market. And so, wow. yeah, they, uh, yeah, cause I know like, again, from what I read online, you know, most blockchains have that trilemma where it's what, scalability, security and decentralization. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, it's like, there's always going to be someone calling themselves an ETH killer, but I almost welcome those people to challenge ETH because I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. I mean, there was only 
maybe there's stuff like before Bitcoin, like Bitcoin wasn't the first cryptocurrency. It was like Liberty coin and like, uh, I forgot something else, but things will come along and challenge these currencies. And I, I think as a industry kind of has to be welcomed. Otherwise you might get into situations where one chain rules at all. And I don't think that's possible as like a human society. We, we just can't accept one thing. Uh, so yeah, it's exciting to see what they're doing. I'm excited to see like how Solana grows and yeah, they definitely come a long way, but there's a lot to learn in that. Yeah. In that space. yeah. No, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, I would say that they're, they're probably the most, the most interesting and the most contrarian. Um, you know, I, I know that they're extremely successful, although yeah. I still obviously like don't really agree with things. Uh, but you know what? The whole point is that most of the time I have no idea what I'm talking about. Most of the time I'm not with that one in the room. Um, <laughs> it's my job to, to learn and pay attention and mm -hmm. revise my, my understanding. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad cause same way. It's how I feel. I'm always like, absorbing whatever I can from people because I feel like I'm way behind all the time, but you can't keep up with crypto. You just, one person cannot know it all unless maybe you're Vitalik, but still very tough. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> so now that you're, um, in consensus, you're, uh, moving forward in your career. Was this the point where you knew that you're going to be in crypto? This is, it. this is, this is my life forever. There's no turning back. Um, it was actually while I was at consensus that I, that I had that realization. So the way that happened was this is this is about mid mid 2018 mid to late my then girlfriend now wife lisa lisa cuesta uh or well i guess it's lisa Boyden now <laughs> but we were sitting on a couch and she kind of looked at me and she's like why are and so and so just for a little bit of context sorry uh we actually met through crypto we met uh at a crypto book signing Oh, and, that's so cute. That's cute. I love that. Yeah, no, it's actually a really good story. Maybe I'll, I'll tell you right after this. <laughs> um, yeah. So she's a, she was a, she was a VC at the time and she was kind of like taking a detour through crypto. And so she knew a lot of crypto people and she, she got crypto, but she was spending most of her time, most professional time anyway, outside of it. And one of the days she, so when we were sitting on the couch and she also me, she says, why are you so into crypto? Like, what is it about the space that's you know, drawing you in so much. And I sat there and nobody's ever asked me that before. So I didn't have an answer. I sat there and said, you know, let me think about it. <laughs> and so I sat there and I thought about it and I realized that I, that I had this memory that I forgot about. And I just remembered what she asked when I was, when I was younger, my, so my first job was at 14 and I was refinancing mortgages. At 14? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave it. All right. We'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I had, a, I, had a, I had a school permission slip and everything. Like, like, note or whatever it is. So refinance adults' mortgages, but it's all well, right. They didn't, I mean, it was on the phone. I was a telemarketer um, of sorts. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't fully understand what a mortgage was, but this was, this was around, this was around 2007. And so the one thing that I do remember, uh, the one thing I do remember that I was refinancing mortgages to a fixed rate. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't understand the consequences of that whatsoever. But now looking back, I was one of the good guys. <laughs> yeah, because you're not screwing people over with interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I've been, um, and so I've been working for a long time. And for uh, a couple of years, I was working at a store, and it was it was a, a terrible clothing store. And whenever I would get paid, I would 
often give out money. When I was in college, I was also getting financial aid. And there was, there was one day where I grabbed up in the store and I was leaving, it was 10 p.m. And I stopped by the local Chase branch that I've been to many times. And I wanted to take out $3,000, which is more money than I've ever taken out in my life. And because I wanted to give it to my, to my mom on her birthday. Oh. So yeah, so I come into you know, the Chase branch, the ATM that I've been to many times, that I put my card, I put my pin. And it says, how much money do you want? And I say, I want like $3,000. And it says, no. I say, well, what do you mean? No, and I'm like, oh, it must be some kind of error. So I try again and it says, no, again, you have to call this number. Like, all right, whatever. So I call the number. I said, hey, I'm trying to withdraw $3,000 and it's not letting me, you know, what's going on? She says, yeah, your, your daily withdrawal limit is 2000 I say, well, okay, but you have me on the phone. Just ask me whatever questions you want. Verify that it's me. I would like my money, please. And she's like, no, sorry, your daily withdrawal limit is 2000 And I said, what do you mean? And just, it just, it just, I could not process what she was telling me. And I remember just feeling such immense rage. I was so angry. I was so, I thought it was so unfair and I felt so powerless. Yeah, it's her money. Yeah, yeah. I just could not believe what was happening. I, you know, I never thought that something was possible that my money's in the bank and I just tell me that I can't have it. I'm like, what do you, how is how is this going on? And so I was seething. I was so mad. And I ended up taking out $2,000. And, you know, the next day I came, I came and I withdrew another thousand. And I completely forgot about that memory. Like I just totally, totally <laughs> buried forgot. it. Yeah, I buried it. And when she asked me, I remembered. And I, and I think that was the moment that, you know, I don't want to say I got a red pulled, but that was the moment that I realized that the money in the bank, it's in my name isn't my money. It's their money. I'm not in control of it. They are. Mm -hmm. And they can just not give it to me. And there's nothing I can do about it, which is a crazy thing to think. And as an American citizen, uh, you know, oftentimes people take it for granted that the bank will give you your money back, the full amount that you're supposed to be getting. This is not the lived experience of most parts of the world. Yeah. Right. There's like significant reservations and, and, and many banks that They'll give you your money, essentially, or they'll take a haircut off of it, like what happened in Cyprus and, and other places as well. Exactly. I feel like Americans are the hardest to convince of cryptocurrency just because we kind of have it really easy. We have it. We have Venmo. We, have, we can use PayPal. We can use Cash App. We have so many ways to transfer money, use money, Zelle, whatever. We have this expectation that our money is ours. There's no quarrel. There's no worry. It's the dollar. It's strong. We're good to go. Stable. When you go to a different country... They're like, crypto is what makes sense. Crypto is what's going to yeah. actually help us. That's the reliable source of money, not not the government, because we can't trust our government. But in America, it's like we have a strong trust in our government. But I think now it's really coming to show face. Like, even the American government is not impenetrable. It's still something we have to like remember that our stuff is owned by them, and we need to be able to control some aspects of our life, which is what's most precious to us is our belongings, our money and our people around us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I'm not one of those guys that thinks everybody should only self custody and we should all take full control of our financial lives and full control of our uh, identity and full control of all our data. And all. I just, I just think that's such an incredibly unrealistic standard to set ourselves to. But having said that before, let's say I'm not happy with you, Gloria. What do I do? Okay, well, I need a bank account. 
So am I going to go to Bank of America? Am I going to Wells Fargo? So essentially, like you had a system and you stay within that system. And so money moves around depending on who's doing better or worse in any particular year, but it all stays in the system. Mm-hmm. And now for the first time, you have the ability to opt out, which is a crazy, crazy thing. It's a crazy power to be able to have because, because it, does, it does two things. One, it, it doesn't mean that we all have to take self-custody or have to take full control of, of, our, of our financial livelihoods, but we can, right? Yeah. And the fact that you can opt out is an incredibly powerful thing. And, and you can opt out without anybody being able to prevent you from opting out, which is which is other crazy thing. But the second thing is that, um, you know, the reason I don't have a ton of faith in, in banks is that it's not because they're evil, but it's mostly because a lot of them are incompetent. They're, they're just bad at what they do. They've done... <laughs> bad and lazy in a, in, a, in, a, in a lot of big ways. And this is not all banks, right? Like a lot of banks generally try to do a good job. And, and I've worked with a lot of them. There's a lot of good people in these institutions. And so I don't mean to have a condemnation of all banks, but what I am going to say is that they haven't really had proper competition in a while. Yeah. And it made them a little bit lazy about it. And I think one of the things that this will do is that I don't think banks are going away. I think banks will continue to be part of our lives. I think they serve an incredibly useful purpose. But what this will do is it'll kind of light the fire to say like, hey, you got to get really good and you have to create a great user experience. You have to take much better care of people. You have to treat people not as I have full control of your, over your financial life because they can just opt out. So you have to treat them more as a partner and more as somebody that that understands exactly. and as a collaborates. And that's what I think um, like crypto banks are doing now is they're challenging the traditional banks because like, yeah, like we see scams happening in crypto worlds all the time. That's less likely to happen with the bank. Like if you do get scammed or someone does hack into your account, you are protect- protected for $250,000 with FDIC and the bank. You can get your money back. It's not easy, but it's a process, but you, you can get it back. With crypto, it's gone. No yeah. one's getting it back for you. No one cares. <laughs> no government's yeah. going to back you up. So yeah, banks are useful in that sense. And I think that's where companies like Coinbase uh, can jump in and say, hey, we're also FDIC insured for a certain amount with, I guess, the dollar. Um, it's like a sweet spot between yeah. crypto and traditional finance. And I think that's the challenge that's coming up and that's going to really disrupt a lot of traditional financial companies. Yeah, well, I think, I think that you're along the path to being correct, but I don't know if I, I, I would say if they've even a step further mm-hmm. And then when we think about FDIC insurance, it's an American concept for American people and American yep. banks, right? But crypto is global by its very nature. It's inherently global. And so I think the way that we think about services and the way that we think about access and opportunity, but also protections has to be with a global mindset. And so I do think that financial institutions like yeah, you know, a lot of the exchanges and custodians and other sort of providers that are, that are within crypto, I think they're going to move closer and closer to what we traditionally think of as a bank. And I think that existing financial intermediaries will move closer and closer towards adopting crypto. But I also think that there's a you know, fundamental difference in the way that we see the world where, you know, in traditional circles, they see it as inherently closed and inherently blocked and, and there's like gatekeepers and there's all kinds of things that are required mm-hmm. versus here there's nothing required 
right? If you have a wallet and it has a certain amount of money, you can go and do whatever you want. You can buy insurance for yourself. You can buy protection for yourself. You can have a multi-sig. You can have, you know, a smart contract wallet like Argent, from which you do DeFi interactions and it manages your portfolio and you're invested into set protocol, which, you know, does your index fund of assets. And you can do all kinds of crazy stuff in a way that uh, is inherently global and permissionless. And so I, I do think that all institutions will, will converge a little bit more over time. But I think that because crypto's approach to it is so fundamentally different, right? It's coming at it from the exact opposite angle. I am hoping that we pull them more towards us rather than us going more towards them. That makes sense. That does make sense. And yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And I can see that. I hope for the same too, because yeah, it's all about progress, right? You don't want to pull back. <laughs> uh, so then, because seeing all this, experiencing all this, you know, one of my one of my favorite questions to ask is, um, what is your crypto pet peeve? My crypto pet peeve. Um, I think, I think one of my crypto pet peeves is not being forthcoming. Okay. About your capabilities, or about you know the trade offs that you're making, or about security assumptions that you have. There's, you know, there's, there's a really interesting um, phenomenon that kind of happens where a protocol, whether it's DeFi or NFT or identity or layer one, layer two, whatever, will come along and say, hey, we've solved all the things and we work <laughs> in this perfect way, you can do whatever you want. And I say, okay, what trade-offs did you make? And they say, nothing. And I say, well, either, because there's only two outcomes there, right? Either you are, not smart enough to understand the trade-offs that you made, which is a horribly, horribly bad sign, or you're not honest with me about the trade-offs that you made, which is also a really bad sign. And so I think one of the things that I that I look for is we all make trade-offs, and there's there's bad things about every protocol. And you, you know, you look at Bitcoin, a lot of bad things about Bitcoin, right? Super slow and doesn't do a lot, right? Like terrible things. You look at Ethereum. If you talk to anybody that has worked with Solidity or on the EVM, they would all say this could be a lot better. <laughs> you, you know, and there's and there's a lot of trade-offs that have been that have been made there as well. And so um it's not to say that any protocol that I look at is, is perfect. But I think the important thing is to uh really understand what the, what these trade-offs are because then what you can do is you can is you can factor those understandings into your calculations, into what you're building, into how you're thinking about things, into how you're uh, protecting the protocol into how you're running infrastructure and what that requires, or when you're building an app, like what that requires. Um, and I think that when you have that transparency around your weak spots, it also draws in people that are super high quality mm. because they're able to see that you're honest about your strengths, but also honest about your weaknesses and you're all working together to try and fix it. And it's a really healthy community versus, you know, when you say that everything is perfect, and you try to put things under the rug, one of the things that ends up doing is that it prevents other people from helping you because yeah. they don't even know that it's a problem and you're just trying to solve it in the back on the background and it just keeps festering and, and getting worse. And I think one of the things that we find is that we're all still so early that none of the protocols that we have right now can scale. None of them are private enough. None of them are are good enough or do any of the you know enough of any of the things that we want. Yeah, exactly. So, and so, and so as we scale, all of these problems will pop up. And, and the question becomes not if they will pop up, but comes when they will pop up and, and how are we going to fix them? 
Mm-hmm. So that's where it's really important to have an understanding. Of what are your weak spots? Making, sharing that with the community and saying, okay, here are our strong spots. Here's stuff that we're going to do really well. Here's our weak spots. We need to solve this together. And so I think my, my pet peeve is when folks aren't like as forthcoming about the weak spots and the trade-offs and so try to hide them or, or, or don't realize they're making trade-offs because that is, I think, a recipe for disaster. That's well put because that makes yeah, perfect sense. And I think that's something that the Ethereum community is really good at is explaining those differences and explaining that what they are good at and what, what they are bad at. And I wish like more people would focus on that, the technical side of crypto. It's all too much on Twitter and on the mainstream media and news in general. Even when friends are talking, it's all like, what's the price? It went up, it went down, it's crashing, it's going up. It's like, there's so much more to this that needs to be shared and educated with uh, the community. And it's like, and I think for me, like my whole purpose here is like try to push that out. It's like, there's a lot more into crypto than just what it's valued at. And the reason it's valued at something is because of like what you described, the tech behind yeah. it, the people behind that are working on it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Do you think uh, crypto changed your life? Do you? What do you think you'd be doing without, if you just never got into it, you just ignored the white paper? Lord, I mean, my <laughs> life would have been terrible, <laughs> honestly, because the fear that I, well, I don't know that it would have been terrible. The, the fear that I had as a consultant was that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, before I got into crypto, I was very seriously considering going to get, because when you're a consultant and you don't know what you want to do, what do you do? You go and get an MBA. Yeah, uh, I got my MBA, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do though, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, right? And there's, I mean, there's two types of people that go get an MBA. There's ones that know exactly what they're doing with it and ones that have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, definitely right? a ladder for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I knew that I wanted to, if there's anything that I, cared about would have been not so much, I mean, just environmental, not so much science, but things to do with green energy and sustainability, but not from a Greenpeace perspective, but more from a Tesla perspective. Okay. Right? Like, like working at a business that, um, it doesn't so much trying to save the planet, quote unquote, but works in such a way that it is. It's an efficient you know, company. Yeah. That's efficient. It's going to be saving the planet in, in, in a little bit of a different way where it's not the main goal, but it's like a are the big goals, mm-hmm. right? So what I was going to do is I was going to get a dual degree between uh, a master's in either environmental science or some other variation, master's of green energy, something like that, um, and then a uh, MBA with it. And there was a couple of programs that I was looking at between Stanford, Berkeley, Ross, which is Michigan, and MIT. And I had already visited Stanford at Berkeley by the time that I got into crypto. And I've been to MIT before, I think. Uh, yeah. Ross is the only one that I never never actually went to. So um, probably if I didn't get into crypto, I would have finished my degree and been in a lot of debt, like a ton of debt. <laughs> and then I would have been uh, working some some corporate job, probably like a, a good one. I can't imagine it being a bad job, but I would definitely be just a corporate, corporate person. Yeah, it's... That's something I feel like, uh, especially after like the pandemic has become like a realization of what you want to do with your time. I think being stuck at home for a long time makes you think, okay, how do I value myself and how do I want to show myself as a, like, as a valuable person? Because I don't know, when you go to an office, it's kind of like distracting. You commute, you go to work, distracted, you come back, you're distracted, you come home, you're distracted. But when you have an extra few hours a day to think, 
just see what you're doing or see how you are every day. It's kind of like a realization of, I don't necessarily want to be in a corporate job. I want to build my own business or have a side hustle while working at my corporate job to like give back to the community. And I found myself doing that exactly. It's like, I want to, I've been in the crypto industry for a long time, learning as much as I can, but this is my way of like, okay, to give back, share a story, learn about people. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, it's, it's super good. Uh, I don't know why you're doing this. <laughs> uh, now, one of my last uh, questions is, uh, what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? My favorite wholesome crypto moment. Something that made you smile, excited in the crypto industry. Yeah, I mean, something. So I really enjoy helping people get jobs in crypto. Nice. So really, it gives me it gives me so much pleasure. Um, I would I would never be a recruiter. Uh, that's not something I'm interested in whatsoever. But when I have, especially especially friends that. Uh, I've known for a long time that are into crypto or I've been reading about it for a while or trying to get in, you know, get a job for a while. Um, after you help them, I mean, it's just, there's such a, such a light in their eyes and there's a pep in their step and they're happy <laughs> and they're, and they're smiling and hugging and they're just, you know, like you've changed somebody's life. Yeah. I think that's actually the, the biggest status symbol of the ball is like how many lives have you changed? Mm-hmm. Um, more so than, than money or anything else. And I take, Take immense pride at helping and helping folks, um, you know, get into crypto and, and do what they're really, really passionate about. Was um, and it's funny because it ends up working in really interesting ways. There's a, there's a, for Asaf, Asaf Yishayev, who, uh, you know, he's been kind of like following my my footsteps a little bit, and then we've been helping each other out. And so, because I'm a, I'm a year ahead of him, and so I was in EPI before him, and then he joined. I was. EY before him and then he joined gotcha. and he helped me get into crypto. And then this whole time he's been, he's been working at EY, but, uh, finally he was, he was ready to leave and he was interested in a job in crypto and I was helping him and referring him to a bunch of places and we we're talking about a lot of stuff, talking about different, uh, different opportunities and where he ended up getting hired was actually, uh, uh, Celsius and. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's been a long-time user and super passionate about it. But the funny thing is that the chief risk officer over there, I knew him for a while too, and I helped him when he was looking for a job. And so he took a job at Celsius, and then it's, you know, it's just so happened that he was looking to build out, build out his team, and Asaf yeah. was really great on the, on the risk and compliance side. And so I connected the two of them and ended up being a good fit. And so then Asaf ended up joining Celsius. That's awesome. And so it was like this really interesting path and, you know, he, he's super happy and having a great time and, you know, Salsi is doing really well. And so it's just, it's just crazy to me. Right. And, and Asaf has obviously changed my life because he's the one that got me into crypto. If he didn't help me buy Bitcoin when he, when he did, there was a good chance that I never would have gotten into crypto. So a lot of my success is owed directly to him. Like, like one for one, it's like, if you didn't take that afternoon, and sit down with me, help me open up an account, I would not be where I am. Good friends make all the difference, huh? Yeah. And then just being able to do that for somebody is, is, is crazy. It's such a crazy, cool thing. It's wild when you think about it. It is. It is. It's always so good to get back. It's such like a, it's a good feeling. And I'm glad that you're doing that. And I'm glad to see that's working out. Yeah. And that, that's something that I'd really like to leave people with. And that I remember there was, there was a moment, so this was two, two or three years ago, mm-hmm. before COVID. My wife, my then fiance, now now wife, 
Lisa and I went to Poland for a wedding. And prior to the wedding, there was a couple of days of just touring with buses and you go to different uh, cities and check things out within Poland. And I remember we went to this salt mine and salt was a great source of wealth at that time because uh, it was extremely expensive and made you a lot of money and you could do really, really well. So these salt mines would be incredibly deep and just these huge cavernous uh, experiences. But because they were so deep and because Poland was such a religious country at the time, and it's, it still is today, but at the time it was like really religious. Mm-hmm. Um, you, as a, as, a, as a worker, it would take a lot of work to go all the way back every week, like, you know, above, above ground in order to go to church. And so what they would do is actually build churches within the mines themselves. And okay. yeah, there would be like a lot of, a lot of churches within with the mines, depending on how large the- And they're still the there today. So you can, that's what you're looking yeah. at. That's cool. Yeah. And so, and so as we're, as we're touring this salt mine, we get to, you know, quote unquote, like the final stop or the end for us. And there was this really beautiful church with these big ceilings and, you know, lots of art. And the ceilings, you had these names of what I assume at the time were great people, either you know, people that are funded or people that priests or people that were whatever, it's like important people that they adored, you know, one of the largest mines, one, one of the largest salt mines in, in Poland, and this is like the largest church within the largest salt mine. Like, this, this is an important place. Mm-hmm. And I looked at these names and I said, I have no idea who these people are and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody, like there's, I'm sure hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that tour these mines every year, and not one of them cares about any of these people. And, you know, when I got to thinking about it, I realized that none of the stuff that we do here really matters. That other day, right? Like it, like it, like it does. It does for sure. But you know, the stuff that really matters, um, and that we're going to be thinking about as as we're on our deathbeds is our friends and our family, and like you know, were we good to other people? Were we were we considerate? Did we make amends with the people that you know have wronged us or that we wronged? Hmm. And and so when I think about the stuff that I that I do and the stuff that I accomplish, um, you know, the the thing that I keep coming back to, and the only thing that matters is like friends and family and like, you know, you still do a good job and I'm not saying go and do a bad job at work and go and do a bad job, whatever. Like, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying uh, don't do that. Um, but that's, but that's the stuff really that, that matters in our lives. So that's the advice. That, and then that's one, one of the things that I like about crypto is that everybody's so invested in, in each other's success. People answer yeah. you, people help you and they, they want you to be successful and they want to give you opportunity to be successful. They want you to be invested in their success. And so, which is one of the things that, it's so special about crypto that's so different from any, from any other industry anywhere else in the world. I love that. Thank you. And yeah. that's a, <laughs> thank you so much, Victor. You're uh, always great to listen to. Always great to follow. And thank you for sharing your success. And I'm excited to watch you keep growing. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. See everybody.